All right, if you would, let's please turn in our Bibles to Matthew chapter 23, where I will be reading in just a moment verses 1 through 12. Matthew chapter 23, verses 1 through 12. And this will resume where we left off the last time we were studying through the gospel according to Matthew. And if you look back at the previous sections, you will notice that Jesus was just interacting with Pharisees, Sadducees, temple leaders. He, in chapter 21, came in riding on a donkey through the triumphal entry. He then um, cursed the fig tree, cleansed the temple, challenged all of the current officials, leaders, priests, and uh, there was a lot of questions that he was asked. And so when we pick up in verse 1, it says, Then Jesus said, so this is right after those events. So I thought it'd be helpful to make sure that we were all caught up to speed with the story of Jesus at this point in the gospel according to Matthew. These are the last days of Jesus's life. The timeline of the story is slowing down and we're getting a moment by moment recounting of Jesus's last week starting in verse 21 and then here in chapter starting in chapter 21 and then now in chapter 23 we have Jesus giving a long teaching that begins in verse 1. So I'm going to read it and as I read it um, the sermon title that I've chosen that I think will be helpful for the big concept of what we want from Jesus is Jesus, our one instructor. You'll notice that at the end. So follow along as I read. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses's seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you but not the works that they do. For they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear, and lay them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. They do all their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. And they love the place of honor at feasts, and the best seats in the synagogues, and greetings in the marketplaces, and being called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. And call no man your father on earth, for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ." The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. This passage of scripture is heavy, it's weighty, it's intense. Some have called it a diatribe, a rant. It is certainly prophetic. It is not fluffy. 
This is not nice and cuddly Jesus. Things have gotten intense in the temple. We've already seen Jesus prophetically pronounce judgment on the temple and turn over tables. And now he speaks his mind fully, clearly, not in riddles or parables at this point. He just states it as it is. And so in verses 1 through 12, we get an introduction to this somewhat lengthy chapter of what are woes. Woes are uh, W-O-E, that woe. And you'll find as you keep reading in the chapter, right there in verse 13, notice, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. So what we want to notice is that in verses 1 through 12, the section is referring to people that are in the crowds and the disciples. Do you see that in verse 1? And then Jesus turned and said to the crowds and to his disciples. And then he starts talking about the scribes and Pharisees. But then in verse 13, notice the, but woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. And so there is a little bit of debate in regards to context and what's going on. My best guess is Jesus is still in the broader temple complex to some degree. Somewhere in the Jerusalem vicinity, we know for sure. And in this moment, he's turning, if you can imagine it, he's turning his posture and he's turning toward his disciples and to those that are in the, the broader crowd. And then what we're going to find starting, Lord willing, next Sunday is he's going to then turn his back to those disciples and then he's going to address the Pharisees themselves. So what we're going to first do is we're going to think through Jesus's instructions to his disciples and to the crowds. So here's your big idea for this message. If you'd like to just summarize what Jesus is saying here, I have put it up on your screen and it says, listen to Jesus. He is Israel's last and best prophet who perfectly practices what he preaches. Listen to Jesus. He is Israel's last and best prophet who perfectly practices what he preaches. The more that I've studied this chapter and these specific passages of the chapter, I want to make sure that it's clear to us from the get-go that Matthew is presenting Jesus as a prophet and that we're to listen to him as the authoritative word of God, that he is speaking the very words of God on behalf of God, just like Moses, except a greater Moses. So here's the outline for the message this morning that I want to share with you. And I'm going to divide this into three parts. The first part will be to answer the question, who are you listening to? Or really not answer the questions, more of ask the question. These are three questions that I want to suggest for your personal application of this big idea. Listen to Jesus is the big idea. If you want to simplify it, listen to Jesus. He's the, the final great prophet of the nation of Israel that speaks on behalf of God. So question one, who are you listening to? Question two, why should you listen to me? And I mean that quite literally, me as in Pastor Phil, Embassy Church. Should you listen to teachers? Because this text says, Neither call people instructors or don't be like the Pharisees who want to be called rabbi or teacher. 
So why should you listen to me at all? You're listening to me right now. Why are you doing that? Should you? And then third, why should we listen to Jesus? And hopefully we'll close out that big idea of applications as to why this is the one and only prophet that we should listen to. So first, who are you listening to? I think that's implied by what Jesus is doing as he turns to his disciples and to the crowds. Look again at verse 1. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, The scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe what they tell you. This seems striking, doesn't it? Surprising. Why would Jesus say, listen to what these scribes and Pharisees are teaching you or telling you. They are sitting on Moses' seat, which is a reference to saying that they're in the place, at least this is what they're presenting themselves as, they're in the place of being like Moses. Moses was the great lawgiver. So when you read the Old Testament and you read in the book of Exodus that the Ten Commandments were given to Moses from God. Moses alone went to the very top of the mountain and spent time in the presence of God. Moses was the one that saw the back of God's presence and couldn't see his face. That Moses, when he says sitting in the seat, it's like a reference to somebody holding a a prestigious position. In colleges or universities, we might say that so, so-and-so is the chair of the philosophy department. And what do we mean by that? They hold that chair, some distinguished position as the like top professor that has the great, you know, teaching on that topic in the school. That's the idea here. Sitting at Moses's seat is a reference to the chair of Moses, the interpreter of God's word and the giver of God's law. So Jesus begins by saying the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses's seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you. Let me explain for just a moment to refresh our memories. If we've been reading all along Matthew's gospel in one sitting, just prior to chapter 23, you would have heard these words in Matthew 16. Jesus said to them, Watch out and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Watch out, beware of leaven. And Jesus is talking in metaphor, right? He's using an illustration. Leaven. Well, what does the leaven stand for? And and you could maybe guess and take different hypotheses. But then you read in verse 12. So this is Matthew 16, verse 12, right after Matthew 16, 6, when he says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. It says, then the disciples understood that Jesus was not talking about leaven in bread, but talking about the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So do you see why that's a relevant passage? In Matthew 16, Jesus is saying, beware of the leaven, i.e. the teaching of the Pharisees. And now in chapter 23, Jesus is saying, the scribes and the Pharisees sit in Moses's place. They're in that place of being the interpreter of God's law. So do and observe whatever they tell you. Should we listen to the scribes and Pharisees? That's part of the question as to why question one in our handout here is, 
Who are you listening to? Jesus is trying to get them to think about who is the authoritative teacher of God's word. Who are you listening to? Where do you get your information from? What is the basis for what you live your life upon? And he's telling them, at least initially it seems, I want you to listen to the scribes and Pharisees. But then there's a but. Look at verse 3. But not the works that they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie up heavy burdens hard to bear, and they lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to move them with their fingers. Jesus is not telling you to listen to the scribes and Pharisees. He is not telling his disciples to listen to the scribes and Pharisees. This is irony. Jesus is dripping with sarcasm and irony throughout the entire chapter. As we walk through these verses, you're going to notice again and again the way that Jesus will use hyperbole, exaggeration, irony, and sarcasm to talk about these scribes and Pharisees. To put it another way, he is mocking them. So when he says, the scribes and Pharisees sit on Moses' seat because they think of themselves as the interpreter of God's law and the spokespersons of God. So Jesus is saying, all right, we'll do whatever they tell you to do. And then realize that they're not going to actually do it themselves, that they're a bunch of hypocrites. They don't practice what they preach. And when, and then there's the reference in verse four, tying up heavy burdens is most likely referring to the yoke of the teaching. This is again, another metaphor. And so it's saying they tie up heavy burdens, heavy burdens by their teaching. The way that they teach Sabbath, it's not a delight. It does not bring rest. It is a burden. The way they teach about sacrificial system and ceremonies of cleansing rituals, it is a burden. And this should remind us, shouldn't it, of Matthew chapter 11. If you have your Bibles, you should turn back to Matthew 11. And remember when Jesus says this, he says in verse 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Do you see the contrast? Burden. Pharisees, when they teach and sit in Moses' seat, it is a heavy burden and they will not help you one bit. You are on your own. You will have to pick yourself up by your own bootstraps. This is all you, and it is condemning heavy teaching. And that's why Jesus is essentially saying, who who are you listening to? Are you listening to those teachers who are sitting in Moses' seat? Those guys are not worth listening to. Instead, we should listen to Jesus the great and final prophet whose teaching gives life. It relieves the burden of your weary soul. It makes your life delightful and uh, it, it will not bring you down. He, he helps lift his finger when Jesus gives his teaching. 
So I mentioned in the big idea, we should listen to Jesus because he is the last and the final prophet. One of the big ideas that is associated with that concept is Deuteronomy chapter 18, verses 15 to 19, where Moses himself says, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me among you from your brothers. It is to him that you shall listen. Just as you desired the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly, when you said, let me not hear again the voice of the Lord my God or see the great fire anymore lest we die. The Lord did say to me, they are right in what they have spoken, but I will raise up for them a prophet like you among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I command him. And whoever will not listen to my words, that he shall speak in my name, I myself will require it of him. I bring this up because Deuteronomy says from Moses himself, there's going to come another prophet. He will be just like Moses. He will speak all that the Father commands him to say, that God will put his words in his mouth, and the command is, listen to him. So what Matthew has done is presented Jesus as a new Moses who goes onto the top of the mountain, and instead of just giving the Ten Commandments, he explains what the meaning of the Ten Commandments are, the heart of the commandments in the Sermon on the Mount. He is just like Moses in that way. There's a chart that I want to bring your attention to that shows the outline and the structure of the Gospel of Matthew. And it shows you that these are the five teaching blocks that take you through the whole story of the Old Testament, starting with the first five books of the Bible, the Moses story. That's culminating in the Sermon on the Mount with the new Moses who Jesus is being presented as. Then when you see in Matthew chapter 10, the next big red letter teaching block, Jesus is sending out the 12, just like Joshua and the crossing over into the land that is promised. There's some parallels there. Then you get the kingdom parables, just like Solomon, who gives wisdom. Right in the center of the Old Testament is the the kingly dynasty of David and Solomon. And so when you read Matthew 13, you should be thinking, oh, this is Jesus, the now new David and Solomon king, and especially taking on the wisdom of Solomon. Then in Matthew 18, you notice that there is these community discourses about how we should live together as believers. And this corresponds with the teachings of Elisha. And then lastly, here we are in Matthew 23, 24, and 25. And now Jesus is the last and the final prophet. From the creation of the nation of Israel in the books of Genesis and Exodus to the end of the Bible with the prophets speaking woes and judgment on Israel, from being delivered out of slavery to exile, the gospel according to Matthew is trying to overview the entire story of Israel by the way that it's presented. And so here we are in chapter 23, and just like in chapter 5, 6, and 7. Matthew is, is organizing this book so that you see that Jesus is, and then you fill in the blank, with some corresponding figure. And in this case, it would be like a Jeremiah or a prophet who is pronouncing judgment on the temple of the nation of Israel. So we should listen to him. And you should listen to him. I think honestly right now, in terms of just basic application, uh, 
so much of our country and our personal lives are very much wrapped around uh, discourses and discussions and divisions based on who you're listening to. And I think that for our church family, it's extremely important that we realize that our authoritative prophet who speaks on behalf of God is Jesus. We listen to Jesus. We want to be a church that is tuning our ears to Jesus. If we're all listening to a bunch of different news outlets, podcasts, books, authors, some of them might do a good job of teaching the teachings of Jesus, but many of them are giving us different ideas. And so churches can be quickly fractured and divided because they're not listening to the same authoritative source. It is vital for the unity of our church and us to help each other through the disunity of our nation and our country to point our attention to Jesus and say, let's listen to him. Look at the way the end of this section says, but you are not to be called rabbi for you have one teacher and you are all brothers and call no man your father on earth for you have one father who is in heaven. Neither be called instructors for you have one instructor, the Christ. And there's, there's why I picked that message title, Jesus, our one instructor. Friend, is that, is that true of you today? Do you listen to Jesus as the final fundamental authoritative word about life? Do you see his ways as best? Or do you like to just sit back and think, well, I'll see which of those things that Jesus says I like or I dislike. And then you pick and choose. You're not listening to Jesus. You're listening to yourself and just corresponding with whatever parts of Jesus that you like. To listen to Jesus is to say, whatever Jesus says about the Bible, that's my view of the Bible. If Jesus says that not any word of God will be broken and that all of it will be fulfilled and that every jot and tittle will be preserved and fulfilled in him, then that's our view of the Bible because that's Jesus's view of the Bible. He has a high view of the Bible. He does not have the view that most academics that are the smartest smarty pants in the world right now have about the Bible. Most of them think that it's not trustworthy. Jesus thinks it's trustworthy. He thinks you can trust the Bible. So are you listening to Jesus about your view of the Bible? Are you listening to Jesus about your view of sexuality and gender and family? Jesus speaks about this. We've already covered this in Matthew chapter 18. And he talks about singleness and he talks about marriage and he talks about divorce. Is your view Jesus's view? Are you listening to him? And is he speaking to you as if God himself is speaking when Jesus teaches and talks. Do you see how fundamental this question is? This is what it means to impart, be a Christian. For any of you here, you want to know, like, what does it mean for me to follow Jesus? It's to listen to him. It's to see his word as authoritative over and above your own thoughts and opinions and ideas. So as a church family, we want to be a church that's a Jesus church. We want to be a church that gives our time and attention to listen to Jesus. This is part of the reason why we're spending a long time going through the gospel according to Matthew. We're over 70 sermons in this thing. And not one of them is wasted. Not one of them is a waste of time. Every time we open up Matthew, you get to hear from Jesus because Jesus is God in the flesh speaking to you. You want to know what God says. We want to know 
how to live our lives and how to make sense of the world because of listening to Jesus. And I want to say one final thing about this listen to Jesus point. Jesus himself teaches that the whole Bible is pointing to him. So when you're reading the Old Testament, we want to listen to Jesus even when it's not Matthew. We want to listen to Jesus every time we're opening our Bibles. And that's something that our church is extremely passionate about. So if you're reading in the book of Numbers, you want to be thinking, how does the book of Numbers finally and ultimately point me to Jesus? And how do I listen to him? So that's our first question. Who are you listening to? Where do you get your information? How are you basing the decisions about how to make sense of the world right now? Second question, why should you listen to me, Pastor Phil? Notice that Jesus tells these disciples and those people in the crowds, don't listen to these scribes and Pharisees. Now, I know he's saying this in sarcasm and irony in that first line, and hopefully it's clear to you that, especially as we go through this chapter, Jesus is not saying, hey, you should listen to the teaching of the scribes and Pharisees. Why should you not listen to them? Because they are hypocrites. They do not practice what they preach, verse 3. Don't follow the works that they do, for they preach, but they don't practice. They tie up heavy burdens, hard to bear. They lay them on people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift a finger. Look at verse 5. They do all their deeds in order to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feasts and the best seats in the synagogues and their greetings in the marketplaces and being called rabbis by others. So don't listen to them. These guys are a waste of your time. So am I? Is Pastor Phil a waste of your time? You see, there's a human teacher on the earth that's telling you, I'm speaking God's word to you. And Jesus, who you should ultimately be listening to, the incarnate word of God, the ultimate authoritative voice is telling you, these guys are not worth following. So, the basis of Jesus's reasons for why you shouldn't follow their example and their teaching and their way of life is because of their conduct and their character. I want, I want you to just kind of think about that for a second. The reason you shouldn't listen or follow the, these human teachers, according to Jesus, is because of their, their conduct and their character. How many of you are happy with listening to somebody because they're funny or they're eloquent or they tickle your ears? I mean, if that's not you, it is certainly our broader culture. I mean, let's just think about it for a minute. A lot of times we can be enamored by a face on a screen, a popular author, somebody who speaks well and it sounds nice, and you have no idea what that person is like. You have no idea what their character is like. And how many times are you finding yourselves in that moment where you are so hurt and broken because you were trusting or listening to a certain author or speaker or pastor, and then only to find out that while they were doing their ministry, they were living this double life, in some sort of marital affair, embezzling money, cheating people, stealing the tithes, all kinds of horrific things have been done by pastors. So why should you listen to them? They're just a bunch of hypocrites too. And you're looking at one right now, right? Am I Mr. Perfect? Of course not. So I want to just make sure, again, we understand what Jesus is saying in context here. Um, phylacteries and fringes. 
Here's what he means. See this guy's head? Here's a picture here of a Jewish man, and he has a little box on his head. And then the one picture, you see it strapped on his head. And then the other picture, you should see it opened up. And opened up inside of it are all these little pieces of paper. And on these pieces of paper are scripture passages from the Hebrew Bible. And so a phylactery is from Deuteronomy chapter 6 where Deuteronomy 6 says that you should have the word of God on your forehead and on your hands. And so there was another phylactery that people would put uh, that would be on their, their wrists too. So the same little box, but they would tie it with, with kind of a rope around their arms. And so they took a, a passage that was probably meant to be more like metaphorical, like, hey, keep it at the forefront of your mind. Or, or, or make sure that the word of God is always on your hands and that whatever you do, it is doing God's word with your hands. Well, the Jewish tradition took that quite literally, as you can see by that photograph. They took the word of God and they put it in these little boxes and they put it on their heads. And then they wrapped it around their arms and they, and they put it on, on their hands. And then um, fringes is uh, a tassel. So again, in terms of a, a photograph here, here's, here's what we mean by a, a prayer shawl. And then at the bottom of that prayer shawl, you would have these stringing tassels. And so you can see that some of those are longer than others. And these are prayer tassels. Uh, they're not too different for those of you that may be more familiar with maybe the Catholic Church. You might see nuns that have these tassels and these prayer beads and they pray through them etc. So, so that's what Jesus is talking about here. And he uses that as an example for how these teachers are just trying to get attention because they don't just put the, the literal reading of Deuteronomy 6 on their head. Like he says, they like to make big ones. So here to try and get the point, I mean, just kind of picture the Bible, right? And it's just like, you can hardly see my face because the Bible is on my head. It's like, I got the word of God. And so imagine me walking around like this. Imagine me walking around with a Bible kind of strapped to my forehead or every time I preach and it's like, whoa, Phil's just taking the Bible real seriously, right? Or strapping scripture passages or whatever around my hands. And so that, that's why I'm saying this is hyperbole. I think Jesus is trying to help you get the picture by taking a tradition that they're talking about and saying, you guys are just a bunch of show-offs. Uh, it's what he said also in Matthew chapter 6 in the Sermon on the Mount, again, to kind of show some of the contrast between Sermon on the Mount and this last teaching of Jesus. He says in chapter 6 of the Sermon on the Mount, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. So when you give the needy, do not sound a trumpet before them, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you go and pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in heaven and your father who sees in secret will reward you. I, I don't think it takes much to be convicted by these teachings of Jesus. How much of your life is ruled by the craving and the yearning and the longing for attention? 
to be seen, to be praised. The more I pastor humans in this broken and fallen world, the more that I realize that there is a longing in our souls to want to be heard, to want to be important, to be significant, for somebody to pat us on the back and say, good job, well done, servant. If you start examining your own heart and life, I think you're going to notice the things Jesus is saying about the Pharisees. Yeah, that hits close to home. A lot of times I do my righteous deeds and I like to post them on Instagram or Facebook. I'm not content with just having it be done in secret. I like it when somebody likes my good deeds and gives me a congratulations. Friends, this is part of the human problem that we are self-absorbed, or as the psychologist will say, we're narcissistic. We're so self-absorbed. We're not doing it for the good and the love of someone else. We're doing it ultimately for ourselves. In the same way that we can act like we're listening to Jesus, but actually we're picking and choosing and we're listening to ourselves. We can act like we're loving God and loving Jesus and we're really just loving ourselves. And so when I think about this point, I don't want to just ask the question about you all, although I am. I want to ask it for myself. And as I think about my own self, look at me. This passage is condemning people who are sitting in the seat of Moses, interpreting the Bible in God's word. That's me. Here I am. I'm sitting down. I'm teaching you. And I'm telling you, here's what God's word says. And you don't want to know what pastors often struggle with? The praise of men. Getting the pat on the back. Oh, Phil, we love your preaching and your pastoring and your shepherding. Do you know what pastors have so much insecurity about? This very issue. So should you even listen to me? Am I just as guilty as all the other scribes and Pharisees? And in some ways, I just want to simply flat out say, yup, I really am. And I think all of us are when we're honest with ourselves. So then, should you listen to me? And I would say it this way, only in so much as I really do faithfully point you to Jesus. And I mean that not just by what I say, but by my life and doctrine. Life and doctrine. Do not listen to me if my life does not match my preaching. I am sick and tired of churches that are so enamored by some pastor or preacher because they like the way he talks or he's funny or he's a good communicator. We don't need another good communicator. If you guys want another good communicator, you've got thousands of options on your computer right now instead of joining this Zoom call. There are way better pastors and teachers in terms of communication skills. They're more poetic, they tell funnier stories, they keep you more engaged, et cetera, et cetera. You may like me, that's nice. Thanks for the encouragement, but I'm telling you, I'm well aware. There's a lot of good preachers out there. So why listen to me? Why have local pastors and local teachers? Is Jesus actually saying, actually, nobody should be a pastor or a teacher. You should all just be brothers. And it seems like that's taking it too far. Remember, this is ironic hyperbole. I don't think Jesus is trying to give us specific instructions that you're not allowed to have a pastor anymore because the rest of his disciples created positions like apostles and elders and gave instructions that they should be appointed. 
So again, context is king. The context of this passage to me seems like Jesus is trying to overstate his case because he's like ranting here. And it's a good rant. I'm not saying he's ranting like he's flying off the charts and he doesn't have control of his emotions or his thoughts. We'll see as we go through this chapter how Jesus is not ranting in anger, but he's ranting as he laments, as his heart hurts, as he is struggling with the rejection that he is getting again and again from the people that he loves so deeply. Have you ever been rejected? Jesus has been rejected again. And just a second ago, chapter 21 and 22, if you're reading in the the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus just got rejected again. And so he says these words in Matthew 23 to make it really clear. Don't listen to these guys. They are hypocritical. Hypocrite. They're dressing up. They're acting. They're like, they've got a costume on. They're acting like they're righteous, but they're not. And I think it's extremely important that we hold our elders accountable for not just the way they teach, but the way they live their lives. This is why local churches and you knowing your pastor is really important. We live in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. And do you know how many times people at embassy have come from churches that are very large and they have come and told me, this is the first time I've been to my pastor's house. This is the first time I've had a phone call with my pastor. When I've had these phone calls on COVID the last few months, I called some people and they said, wow, I think this might be one of the few times in my life a pastor's just calling in to check up on me. I've heard of other Christians in this community over the last few weeks that said, I feel abandoned by my church because I just have a little video I get to watch on a screen, but I have no actual connection with anybody during this quarantine. I don't feel cared for or loved or sought out. My hope and prayer is that as a church, Embassy Church, will fully embrace that we need to know our leaders, their life, and their doctrine. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, Paul warns Timothy and says, watch your life and your doctrine closely. It's not one or the other. It's not good for me to be a nice guy, really nice guy, but then teach prosperity preaching. Not cool. It's not cool for me to start telling you lies and unhelpfully presenting teaching about God's word. So you should listen to me and Ryan and Kenny and Nate Prater, your four elders of Embassy Church, only insofar as their life and doctrine are following Jesus. And where it looks as if our lives are modeling Jesus is the answer. Jesus is the authority. And when we sin and when we are self-absorbed, we repent of it. And so let me just publicly confess and repent and say, I'm a sinner too. And I want to be a humble, broken, ready to admit, ready to tell you that I need Jesus. Do not follow me and it be full on stop. Listen to this teaching so that it points you to Jesus. Which brings us to our third And final question, why should you then listen to Jesus? Our big idea in the sermon is that Jesus uh, is our great instructor. And he is the one that gives us our, our instruction. He is the final authoritative last prophet of Israel and the one who represents God. And so I'm asking today, who are you listening to? How can we have unity in the church? By listening to Jesus and by listening to our elders insofar as they are pointing us to Jesus.
So why should we listen to Jesus? And I think it comes clearly from that last couple lines in verses 10 and 11. Neither be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one. There is one instructor, one voice, one message. It's Jesus. And then he says this in verse 11 and 12. The greatest among you shall be your servant. Whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and whoever humbles himself will be exalted. That should be a common phrase that you've heard in Jesus' teaching. It's one of his more popular, well-known, repeated teachings. In fact, I think we've already seen it in Matthew's gospel before this. I don't remember the verse, but Jesus says this line often. He opposes the proud. God gives grace to the humble. If you try and exalt yourself, you will be humbled. But if you humble yourself, you will be exalted. Why should you listen to Jesus? Well, because... Jesus is the only preacher and prophet that's not a hypocrite. He's the only one that never sinned. He's the one that practices what he preaches every time. Jesus doesn't exalt himself. He humbles himself. And because he humbles himself, God exalted him. That's the gospel. It's the story. It's the heart moving, melting reason that we should listen to Jesus. Though he had everything in the heavenly throne, he humbled himself by taking on the form of a servant and becoming like a human and taking on death, death on a cross. And Philippians 2 tells us that therefore, because Jesus humbled himself, and did not grasp for equality with God, but rather gave up his position on the right hand of the Father. He came down to earth, lived a perfect life, died in our place, was mocked and, and treated and abused with such injustice. And then he rose again from the dead. And his exaltation is through his resurrection and through his ascension. And now he's back at the right hand of the Father representing us so that you can listen to him as our great prophet, priest, and king ruling over the nations. Listen to Jesus because who do you know? What philosopher, what authoritative leader or teacher actually perfectly lives out their teaching? Especially when the implications of the teaching is take up your cross and follow me. Isn't it great that when Jesus calls us to humble ourselves or he tells us that we should be willing to suffer even death, he's not calling us to do something that he doesn't first already do. This is why Hebrews chapter 2 says that Jesus is our pioneer. It's a Greek word called archegos, and it's a word that means he blazes a trail ahead of us. When we follow Jesus, he's blazing a trail and a path. And we follow in his steps. And we don't have to clear away the brush in the jungle. We don't have to blaze a path where no man has gone before. We follow Jesus into the dark void of death because he's already gone there first and defeated death. This is why our hope 
should be in Jesus. I recently was reading a book by Tim Keller where he said, uh, the book's called um, Making Sense of God. And I know that some people think, well, I don't really believe in Christianity or follow Jesus because all those Christians are a bunch of hypocrites. And today I kind of confessed, yes, it's kind of true. But Tim Keller was talking with somebody who's not a Christian and uh, in his book, Making Sense of God, he brings up this point that a lot of people don't believe in the truth of Christianity or the Bible because of all the hypocrisy and corruption of the church. But then this non-Christian pointed out to Tim Keller, and I mean, how, how cool is this, that a non-Christian is making this point? And it's a really good point. The moral standards that anybody uses to judge you or me or the church are the moral standards that come from Christianity itself. And so this is the quote from his friend. I realized that the worst thing I could say about any Christian was they weren't being Christian enough. But really, if Christianity wasn't true, then why should they be? In other words, if somebody doesn't believe that there actually is one who did this, who actually did live the perfect life, then there is no Christianity. And if there's no Christianity, then of course we're going to be hypocrites. So the worst thing people can say about us is that we're not being Christian enough. And the standard by which we are being judged is the standard of Jesus himself. So I'm saying this to any of you, whether you are a Christian, you should listen to Jesus and you should know that because of the gospel. But if you're a non-Christian, if you're skeptic, if you're wondering, why should I listen to Jesus with all these hypocritical Christians? Well, by what standard are you going to judge us? By what standard should we be judged? And ultimately, I'm saying that standard is Jesus Christ. So if he never lived, and there is no Jesus Christ as a standard, well, then it really doesn't matter, and you can't really judge one another. But in this case, Jesus is the ultimate judge and standard, and that's why all of us should be comparing ourselves to him. He, he be the ultimate litmus test. He be the one that we listen to and have our authoritative voice. So over the course of the next few weeks, as we gather for these Zoom calls, or if at some point, Lord willing, over the course of this summer, we end up outside together, we're going to be working through Jesus's teaching. It's three long chapters, chapters 23, 24, and 25. Some of that teaching, by the way, many people think is about the end of the world, and some people think that the end of the world's happening now because of COVID and chaos and pandemonium. So I think you're going to want to listen up. You're going to want to dial in to the phone calls or try and make it to the Zoom meetings or in-person meetings if we can have them. And either way, we'll try our best to record them. But let's close out this teaching and this time in Matthew's gospel with a word of prayer and thanking God for his word. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we want to thank you for your word and for this teaching and the gospel according to Matthew. We want to thank you for sending Jesus into the world to rescue sinners. We want to thank you for his perfect life, his death on the cross, and that he humbled himself. And that because of his great humility, we should listen to him. Because that's what makes him great. The greatest will be the servant, and the greatest servant of all was your son, Jesus. And so we are humbled 
and we are reminded of his great humility today, and we want to thank you and bless you and be in awe of your word. We want to pray that you will give us the grace that we need to sift through all the voices and all the noises that are going on in our country and in our world right now. Even in the church, there's great division, and I pray, God, that there would be unity in the church of Jesus Christ across our country and especially here at Embassy Church, and that that unity would come as we listen at the feet of Jesus, that we would sit ourselves and park ourselves under the teaching of Jesus, and that that would help us greater, give us greater understanding of ourselves and the world, and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.